0: For Your Word, Uh, we thank You for the beauty of the Gospel and the effect that You intend for it and are working uh, so that it does have an effect on our lives, not, not just at the point of conversion, but throughout our lives, that it's a transforming work. Father, we pray that um, some more of that would take place this morning as we work through um, a culturally odd passage in Leviticus. We don't think this way. We don't relate uh, many times to this kind of legal system. And, uh, so we need your wisdom. We need your spirit to be with us, to illuminate your word. We know that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for us, and so we pray that You would, by Your Spirit, make it profitable again this morning. We thank You that it all points to Christ, and we pray that we would be um, focused on Him and our hearts would be uh, inflamed to love Him more. Uh, We get so apathetic and so used to things. We pray that Christ becomes more beautiful, more desirable than any lesser thing this morning. We thank you for our time together we pray that your spirit would help us to love each other better. We thank you for these reports from the seasoned saint uh, Friday night and the, how uh, young adults are loving on older older uh, believers and vice versa and we pray that that continues to grow. Give us wisdom in how we relate to one another. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we're in uh, Leviticus chapter 11 and... The last time we were together, we were beginning uh, chapter 11, uh, and it was uh, kind of an intro to the cleanliness code. We talked about how this code is what everybody thinks of uh, in a dreaded fashion when they talk about Leviticus. You know, if you do your Bible reading, you come up to Leviticus, and it's like, okay, I'm done for like the rest of the year. This is the kind of stuff that you read, and you're like, ah. And yet it's here. And all scriptures God read. All scriptures profitable for correction, instruction, rebuke, teaching, in righteousness, so that the man of God may be annoyed having to read Leviticus. No, that he may be complete. And so that's what it's here for. How we get there, we're going to see. <laughs> because it's a tough one. But we're going to look at verses 24 through 47. And again, I just want to thank Rodney for filling in last week. Um, I... Uh, I haven't listened to last week. Uh, what was it on? What did he talk about? Ephesians four one through six. Ephesians 4, 1 through six. And what was the, the 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 theme there? Unity. Unity in the body. Walking in a manner worthy. Walking in a manner worthy. What an odd thing to go to when the class is in Leviticus. Isn't that what we're dealing with? The people of Israel are called to be distinct, unique from all the other cultures around them. They're all to eat the same kinds of things. They're all not to eat the same kinds of things. They're all to touch the same kinds of things and not touch the same kinds of things. They're to be unified in their cultic, cultural, distinctive. Right? Are we? I mean, isn't the cleanliness code, as odd and weird as it is to us, because we wouldn't think about eating a bearded vulture. Um, as odd as that is, isn't the picture one of unity of a nation that's distinct from all the other nations? And that's, and that's what he's doing through a physical picture here in the Cleanliness Code. Last time, we reviewed the laws uh, that, that dealt with what to eat, what not to eat. Um, as we review these, these laws today, I want you to kind of think through connections. Where does this apply later on in Scripture? Where do we see? Whenever, I'm, whenever I'm reading a passage, especially when it's kind of culturally weird to me, I try to think, where does the New Testament use this? Do you do, you do that when you read Old Testament stuff? Where is, this, where is a New Testament author using this? Where is Jesus incorporating this into a miracle or whatever? Think through as we read through this, where this might apply somewhere else. And we'll kind of talk about it later. But let's look at, uh, we'll start in verse 24. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Every animal that parts the hoof but is not cloven-footed and does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean. And all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. Let's stop there for now. This section, verses 24 and 25 specifically, serve as an intro into the next section. Uh, They're no longer dealing. He's no longer dealing with diet. He's moved into contact. We talked last week what not to eat, or last time, what not to eat, what to eat. This time he's moving into what to touch. How does one become clean after touching a dead animal? Remember, we're talking about cleanliness. We're talking about a ritual state, right? We're Talking about a status. How I can relate to the temple? I have to be holy. I have to be made holy to to be, uh, uh, to to relate to God in the in the tabernacle, and that's what we're talking about. How how does one become clean after touching a dead animal? What does it say? Wash, 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 and then he's unclean until. Evening. Okay. Uh, and there's a distinction. If he touches it, he's unclean till evening. If he carries it, he's got to wash, right? The idea is he's had more contact with this unclean animal. It renders one unclean until evening, which is the beginning of the next day. According to the Hebrew calendar, they do things a little differently than us. I try to make the day last until midnight. Uh, on most occasions, but they're, they, they cut it off at the evening and say, okay, that's the next day. Uh, not only is the person unclean, but the clothing as well, it requires washing. It's just until evening. And we don't have it here. We see it in numbers. What about contact with a dead person? It's a week of uncleanliness. There's a week long of ritual impurity that goes on with touching a carcass of a dead person. Which is one of the reasons it came up in uh, our discussion of Nadab and Abihu. They had dead men in the tabernacle. If the priests touch them, they're going to be unclean for a week, and they've got other stuff they need to do, and then, so they had other people carry them out and all that. We saw that in that story. Animal, it's till evening. A person, they remain unclean for a week. And so after this intro, the general thing of don't touch it, or you're unclean till the evening. He moves into case-specific examples and we see this throughout the giving of the law. There are these incidents that he goes through and then from that it's a principle that they're to apply to other things that they may come in contact with. He gives a lot of these case law things. Um, Look at 26 through 28. And we've seen these references to these unclean animals before in the dietary restrictions earlier. Here it says eating or touching any of the impure animals makes a person unholy, but he highlights a new category. What's the new category that we didn't see before? Do you, do you, do you, does it stand out to you? On the paws, all those who walk on their paws. Literally, it means um, those that that uh, walk on its palms. See, all this is just, this is just weird Bible trivia. That's the only place this. Word, palm, is used of an animal. It's usually used of a, of humans. The palm of a human. It uses it of an animal. It's kind of strange why it would use it here, and yet it does. Um, I, I don't know why. It's just weird Bible trivia. There you go. Next Bible trivia game we have on a Friday night. We'll talk about walk on their paws. Look at verses uh, 29 through 43. Now we're going to see... Um, I've got it titled in my notes. Swarm. Let's see. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground. We need help with this, that these are unclean. The mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you. "...among all that swarm, whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood, or a garment, or a skin, or a sack, any article that is used for any purpose. It must be put in water, and it shall be unclean until the evening, then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel... All that is in it shall be unclean, and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten, on which water comes, shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be unclean clean but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean and if any part of their carcass carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown it is clean but if water is put on the seed and any part of their carcass falls on it it is unclean to you what's going on here lizards and geckos and mole rats oh my what what is the deal here uh, in verses 29 through 31, eight specific types of swarming land creatures. And the swarming, why are these swarming? Well, apparently it's because they, they breed like rats and, and, they, and they move unpredictably. That's kind of the idea here. These, these small mammal kind of things. We have difficulty identifying seven of, uh, of these because their names aren't used anywhere else. But uh, the mouse is referenced. We're safe there. Uh, they're small. They're close to the ground and they dart to and fro unpredictably. Lizards are everywhere in Palestine. Stein. Stein. Palestine. Stein. Stein. Stein's down south, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, lizards are everywhere. And so this would be a common thing to find a dead... We were walking the fence line one time. And we kept hearing this pop. Pop, pop! I'm like, well, what is going on? We look for branches, and we look for some kind of deal going on there, and came up on where the where the gate is, and there's a lizard trapped in the wires. And they go, they're everywhere, and they die. and so the fence was unclean until evening. Um, they, they die all; they're in their houses, you know, and all this stuff. You've got this constant occurrence of lizards, and yet they're unclean. How frustrating that would be. I can't wear this now because this stupid lizard came in again. Um, Apparently, they get in your stuff, your house, your tent. Uh, Death of one of them would be common most likely likely from the screaming woman that found it. Um, If it touches wood, cloth, or skin, then the item becomes impure by contact. It is temporarily defiled. It needs to be washed or soaked in water. Either way, it's not to be used until sunset. Then it becomes ritually clean. That's wood, cloth, that kind of stuff. What about clay pots? What does it say? Why? Why not just wash it? Why break it? What do you think? Okay, so there's a sense of uh, maybe an idea of permanence that it's a temporary kind of thing, maybe. Maybe
1: the uh, you eat things and ingest them out of the. the earth. Anyway. Okay. So food is going to be in it if you
0: go in your body. So because food is generally going to be on the on the clay pots or stored and stuff, it, it could be more of an option there. You said it's porous. Why would that matter? Because you can't get it out. You can't get it out. In fact, that's what a lot of the smart guys will say: is that it's so porous, this burnt, <clears throat> burnt clay uh, stuff, that it's so porous that it doesn't clean well. In fact, one of the one of the smart guys said, it's impossible, humanly impossible, to clean this stuff. Um, It's porous and needs to be smashed. Any liquid contained in them cannot be used. Any food moistened by any water from such a pot is impure. And it includes an oven or a stove. Think about how frustrating that would be. We just got the new uh, uh, Ken Ken, uh, Jerusalem 2000 stove that we just got in. And the stupid lizard falls on it. Again.
1: Just for clarification...
0: Yes, it's dead and falls or dead and dies. and it, so if, it when the kid it, if it scurries around, you're okay. You just kind of wipe it off. But it's the deadness of it all. It's, again, we're talking about ritual purity. There's, a, there's some link it to hygienic, but not always. It's ritual purity. There's no way to clean that pot satisfactorily. There's no way to clean the, the oven or the stove satisfactorily. Alright. Does it remind you of anything? So it's impossible to lean it, so it has to be smashed.
1: One thing it kinda of reminds me of is like during army stuff like they do a lot of things there's like, well, like why am I why am I walking through the chow hall with my cups against my chest? Like looking like a retard when like everybody else can just walk around like this, but Yeah. They're here, and so I think maybe part of it is just like the Lord's creating an intentionality in the way that people do things, mm-hmm. so that it's kind of like a constant reminder of like, oh hey, like why do I have to be so careful about a dead lizard in a pot? Well, it's because the Lord is providing, and I want to be obedient to the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this like <coughs> constant reminder throughout the day.
0: Of the Lord working in life. Sure. Sure, and and we'll see that later. the 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 whole overarching thing is God is holy, therefore they should be holy. They need to be distinct. I when I was reading through this, and again, I try to think of associations. And I'm and I'm not, and I want to be clear in, in biblical the handling of text. I don't want to say this is what the passage is teaching, but I do see connections that the old that the New Testament authors pull from. To make their points. And one of the things that I, I recalled was 2 Corinthians 4.7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And if we are compared to jars of clay, uh, not the band, if we're compared to jars of clay, does that not impress upon us the need for holiness? You can't clean that stuff. It's humanly impossible to clean it. And yet, and yet, we house in these jars something beautiful that God has placed, His Spirit, the Gospel, the, 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 the life of Christ in us, and we're carrying that. Does it not impress upon us, using that imagery, how easy it is to soil that? Thank God we don't have to be smashed, right? Um, when would such a container not be smashed? When would such a container not be smashed? What does it say? A cistern. What's a cistern? I know there's brethren. Is this cistern? Is this a different deal? Very large, like a well, a spring. It says another. What's the distinguishing factor there between a pot in your room of your tent holding water and grain and a cistern or a spring? What's the distinguishing factor? It has a source. It has a source of what? It source of cleanliness. It replenishes its own water. It's self-purifying, right? It's self-purifying, and so you have this clay, this burnt clay, that is kind of acting as a protective barrier, maybe to a well or a spring. And if a lizard falls in that, or a mole rat, then you have no need to clean it because it's self-purifying. Well, yeah, you got to thing out because you want to. Well, you would be, but you have to smash the well up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is important because wells are expensive. Um, Water in a cistern or spring is not contaminated by an unclean creature falling into it. Probably because the spring and cistern is naturally flowing and continually refreshed and renewed. It serves as a self-purifying element. Does this remind you of anything? Always a good answer in Sunday school. Does this remind you of anything? The only time clay pots should not be destroyed or clay containers should not be destroyed from uncleanliness is when they house a self-purifying water source. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In Christ, we house a self-purifying source, the person of the Holy Spirit. John leaves no doubt when he comments on what Jesus said. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says this in verse 39 of John 7. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Alright, verses 37-38. This is the final case of transference of impurity by, uh, by creatures. 37 through, uh, through 38, if any part of the carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed, then it's unclean. Why? Why is dry seed okay and wet seed you got to throw out? Yeah? Uh,
1: I used to work at the plant farm and when you put water on a seed on the outside of the seed, it cracks and the seed actually opens up. That's what starts the germination process.
0: Okay. So there's an idea that water is more in this situation would be more of a transfer agent for impurity, ritual impurity. Okay. The oh, that's good. I did not know that. Thanks for clearing that up. I spent like two hours last night trying to figure
1: it
0: out. I'm kidding. I should have called Grant. Alright. Um, if dry it remains clean. If moist, it's unclean, water can be dangerous conductor of impurity. And we saw this in verse uh, 34 with the clay pot. And in 39 through 40, even clean animals that die naturally have a contaminating effect. It's the carcass. Why would that be? It's a clean animal. We can eat this. Why is it impure? Because if it dies naturally versus when I slaughter it. Isn't
1: it all a, a reminder of the curse? that
0: came Okay. The fall? Sure. I mean. well, what's one thing we know about a dead animal versus a slaughtered animal. What do they do with the slaughtered animals when they're eating them? Do you remember? When you are eating? Not, not when. <laughs> In preparing them to eat, what do they do with a slaughtered animals? They're gonna, if they're going to kill a goat, which I think about every day, they're going to drain the blood. What happens when an animal dies naturally? It sits there. So it's unclean because the blood... Stays in the animal; it it's itself, a formerly clean animal, becomes unclean because the blood stays there. Is the idea, and again, it's a reminder: the blood is the issue of life. God controls life, and how it should be handled is, is on His terms, not theirs. Um, all right.
1: So, when 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 they were slaughtering animals for sacrifice and eating, them, et cetera, et cetera mm. so they weren't necessarily unclean. Since they killed the animal the blood the if it's, day, it's like
0: a clean life. animal right. yeah if it's a clean animal then you're not going to be uh, ritually impure till sundown because that's what God right. instructed you to do and ha- following. you're following yeah. the code but if it's if it's say you had a sick goat and it had goat polio and died you can't eat it right. which is a real thing you can't eat it mm-hmm. because there's blood still in it, it has not been drained and um, and you know it 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 if you touch it, then that's going to be uh, ritually impure. Um, all right. Blood is still in it. It becomes unclean in a sense. Hebrews are to have nothing to do with it. In verses 41 uh, through 43, every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. D- Does anybody disagree with that? <laughs> Ladies, do you disagree with that? No. And I-, I made this comment last time we talked about this, and I'm, I'm wondering how much of this our revulsion to these things? Because other cultures eat mice. They eat them. They like them. They put a little sauce and it's all good. And it's all obscured. Other cultures do this. How much of this is because we have been immersed in this stuff? Right? How, how much of that is in our heads because we come out of this kind of culture that reads the Bible and understands certain things. and the... You ever think about that? How much impact does that have on our diet? On our view of things? Alright. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly, and whatever goes on all fours, and whatever has many feet. I wonder what that would be. Caterpillar, centipede, yeah, something centipede. Um, I eat spiders, though, so. No, I'm not going to uh, spider. Stop it. Um, yeah, I would think so. And we've seen uh, pictures of people actually eating those too. So, whatever, has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them there's a repetition of verse 10 in creatures that are prohibited it includes animal animals that go that go on its belly go on their belly all right interesting bible trivia number 2 for the lesson this morning the the term belly here only other time that's used guess Genesis 3.14, talking about the serpent in the garden. And there's a very cool thing. In the Hebrew, in the Masoretic text, which is an old ancient Hebrew version of the Old Testament, this word for belly in the very middle has a consonant that's capitalized. Guess why? Because the guys that copied this, this law, this stuff, uh, as they were keeping track of the Old Testament and copying it down for other people to use, they counted the number of letters In the Old Testament. Okay? And they didn't sections, and so this is dealing with the Pentateuch. This is the midpoint of the Pentateuch for the copy guys. So the scribes, they were doing it. They were so diligent. If they got to this letter and didn't have the right number of letters when they got to Belly, they had to scrap the whole thing and start over. Belly's in the middle. It's, it's, it's It's a great providence of God. All right, moving on. I just think that's cool, and it gives me more confidence that we have the right text because belly is in the middle as it should be all right verse 44 through47 gives the whole point of the whole thing for I am the lord your God consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy you shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of egypt to be to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is a law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground. To make a distinction between the unclean and the clean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. What's the ground of all of this? What's the basis for all of this? Okay, To, to be, holy, to as be holy as God is holy, right? What's the reason for it? What's the purpose? Holy, what does that mean? Distinction, Distinction set apart. We've talked about holy other. God is holy. And these are people, he, he grounds it in the history of what He's done for them. I brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Uh. Therefore, reflect me. And as arbitrary as these things sound to us, this is the visual, a a physical representation that they're to be wholly wholly different. Unique in every way. Standing out (laughs) among a crowd
1: whenever they can.
0: Holy other. That's how we're to live. In all facets of life. That's how we're to live. Thank you. No, no, I appreciate that. It's good. Leviticus, we need some cheer kicking every everyone. Israel is to be unique because God is unique. The nation must be like God and strive to reflect Him. We see... Be holy, for I am holy throughout Leviticus. It is the key anchor of the whole book. And it's tied to God's choice of them. So he references their history. By this, the cleanliness code is tied to the Ten Commandments and deliverance from Egypt. Uh, John Curate is a scholar on uh, the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch. He says it this way, God set them apart, now they must keep apart. He put, he put the onus on them to follow the law, to follow this code. That's, again, it, it permeates everything. Think about it. Every day you're looking for lizards and your stuff because you know you've got, okay, got to set this apart here, we've got to set this over here. Every day it, it is a reminder to them to be holy and distinct and unique, not like the pagan cultures around them. Every day. In Acts 15... The council at Jerusalem confirmed that Gentile converts to Christianity should not be shackled by having to keep the dietary and cleanliness laws of the Old Testament. Those laws were a dividing wall between nations, between Israel and all the Gentile nations. And so the Jerusalem council took it up. The issue was brought up by some guys who were saying you've got to follow these laws to be a Christian. They took it up and they said this. Well, Peter said it at their their meeting, at their council. And God, uh, it's in uh, chapter 15, Acts 15, starting verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you, talking to the Judaizers, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We can't find all the lizards. We can't do this. We couldn't do it and it's our national distinction to do it. Why would you put it on people who it's not their national distinction to do it? But we believe... That we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. They also were set apart. They also were given the living, self-purifying water of the Holy Spirit. And yet, throughout the New Testament, do we just coast? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Right? And we just coast, we do whatever we want because it's self-purifying. Is that, is that the way that is? Is that taught in the New Testament? It doesn't even line up with the Old Testament. That we just covered. It doesn't even line up with the Old Testament. That's a very valid point because it's one book, isn't it? Throughout the New Testament, it's understood that Christians are to work to keep themselves apart, to discern between what is clean and unclean. We're priests. Isn't that one of the duty of the priests to discern what is clean and unclean? But not what we eat, not what we touch, how we live. How we deal with the culture around us that screams, do this because everybody's doing it. The language is applied not to food, drink, and things touched, but all those things that we set up against the uniqueness of God Himself. The same Peter that said, don't shackle Gentiles with dietary laws, would later write to believers this in 1 Peter 1, 13-19. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. Let that sink in for a minute. How often do we just ponder and sit? If we're to study theology, if we're to study doctrine, if we're to study holiness and yet not act on it, that's not consistent with what the writers of the New Testament discussed. Study is meant to act, to be acted upon. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. He's pulling from Leviticus. And if you call him, if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Let holiness, the pursuit of holiness, which the author Apollos, of Hebrews says without which no one will see the Lord, let that pursuit permeate everything and conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. You are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Christ has set believers apart. Call them to be distinct from the world by avoiding immorality and sin. In other words, to be holy. Why? Because He's holy. Christ is holy. Therefore, we're to reflect Him. Not to revere God as holy is not to revere God as God. What are we saying? If we're carrying on like pagans do. You're not God. I am here. Right? If I'm going to adopt something that is done by everybody else, which is easy, the, the culture dictates who's, who, I'm, who my allegiance is to. To whom is my allegiance? The culture dictates it. Rather than God dictating how I'm to operate my body. What I'm to, uh, how I'm to respond to someone else being um, less than holy toward me. God dictates that because He's God, He can, and how I respond to it is an act of worship. Do we view our actions, the way we relate to each other, as acts of worship, submitting to the King? Not to revere God as holy is not to revere God as God. D.A. Carson describes it as to de-God him, to displace him with non-gods, with idols. And we all do it, right? Anybody got this down? I am holy as God is holy. If you're in Christ, yes. Um, and of Len says, uh, I guess I'm saved by works, his. God in his great mercy made a way for Israel to be made holy again through sacrifices, which serves to point us all forward to Christ. His life, death and resurrection make the people of the new covenant holy by dealing with their sin. No writer of the New Testament gives a hint that the Gospel is not concerned about our actual conduct, though, as New Covenant believers. The expectation, the assumption, is that the Gospel fits us for God's presence, ultimately, and transforms us now. It should be transforming us now. Not in relationship to lizards, but to what I watch. How I speak. Um... How I handle my money. See, the fact that I said my money betrays my cultural bias, doesn't it? All of those things are be informed by, be holy as I am holy. As people of the New Covenant, we are called to reflect the otherness, the uniqueness of Christ... And we can't do that by living as the pagans do. But thanks be to God, He does not leave us alone, but places inside these clay plot, these clay pots, a spring of self-purifying water. The Spirit testifies of the beauty of Jesus and calls us back to faith and repentance again and again, renewing our hearts. The Holy Spirit, He will testify of me. Jesus said, "How does He renew us? How does it? How is this a self-purifying thing? This?" spring that Christ has put inside of us he testifies of Jesus i want this thing and it's more important to me than anything else in the world it's what i've got to have it i don't care what it looks like to my brothers and sisters in christ i don't care what it looks like to the uh, to the world i've got to have this and what does the holy spirit do you were bought with a price you were purchased with the precious blood of christ not silver and gold the precious blood of christ Focus on Him, pursue Him, He wells up within us, and it may not happen immediately. I may pursue that thing. But if I'm in Christ, that self purifying water will take effect eventually and draw me back to Him and cleanse me again. If I confess my sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us my sin uh, forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? That's the promise. Yes? That's the water cleansing me again and again. And I'm a clay pot. I should be broken and smashed for doing that. But because He's placed within us a self-purifying Holy Spirit that reminds us and points us back to Jesus, I'm not.
1: Kevin, I heard a great uh, analogy last night from Paulette. Speaking of water, she said, I think from her husband, she said, uh, the Christian life is like you look at the Mississippi River. You know, generally what direction does it flow? North to south, mm-hmm. you know. But along the route, it's not always just up and down. It's snakes, and, and we'll we'll go, mm-hmm. you know, we'll sin, but we're still in Christ. Yeah. But, you know, we'll go east and west, but the general direction is still south. You know, we're still being conformed to His image. Right. And moving upwards. and. I just thought that was such
0: a profound picture. No, it's good. Uh, that's good, because there are eddies, there are stagnant eddies along the way. Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
1: the general direction as we confess. is to the ocean, yeah. His Spirit convicts us. It's good. It, it I like that.
0: I'll, I will now use it as my own.
1: <laughs> that's, that's what I did. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and living water. In Psalm 23, my cup overflows just that idea of all those impurities that are in that cistern. My cup overflows.
0: Yeah. They're being pushed out. Knocks the lizard out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. Paul says it this way, yield to the Spirit. Yielding to the Spirit always involves ultimately standing in awe of what Christ has done for us. The Spirit always testifies of Jesus. I have this picture in my head. I'm, I'm kind of a visual learner. So I have this picture in my head of when I'm covered with gunk and sludge of my sin. I cleaned up the chicken coop yesterday so I've had this real visual image. Gunk and sludge and I'm covered in in that in my sin. I have this visual of a spring bubbling up from deep inside slowly moving to the roar of a geyser to wash that out. And And the geyser says, look to Christ. right? You were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Look to... Does your heart rest there? I mean, do you get wrapped up in stuff and you're like, I'll never, I'll never beat this. I'm, I'm trapped in this. I'm constantly wrestling with this. It's like a circle of error that I continue. Do you get there? Can you let your heart rest and yield to the Spirit that Christ is enough? Can we do that? Can, can we say, I know I'm covered, but I know that He has paid for my sin past, present, and future all those things that I've done. And what that does, once you realize that my sin was placed on Him, I I, I don't know if this is the right way to think of this, every time I'm sinning, I'm thinking, oh man, I'm adding to that. Well, it's not really true. I've already added to it. But in my head, I'm thinking, I put it on Him again. It's a conserving effect to me for the next time that thing happens. I'm thinking, I don't want to add to that. And yet, there's also that, thank you for taking it. I don't want the gunk. Spring up a well, right? Like the Judaizers that forced the need of Acts 15, this is another theme I kind of saw in this, we often get very busy justifying our actions in comparison to others who don't follow our cultural rules. You eat lizards? (laughs) Do, don't eat this, or you don't eat like this. Don't drink this, or you don't drink this. Do you listen to this online preacher? Did you go to this conference? You don't recycle? You didn't cry over Cecil the lion's horrible death? Do you have a purity ring? And frankly, I'm really getting tired of the whole essential oils thing. That whole piety thing. with his, It's just... Anyway, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying we put on each other these cultural things. There's only one standard of holiness. Be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. Pursue Him. Do we think of holiness as a personal pursuit, kind of like a hobby between us and God? Or do we see holiness as a reflection to the watching world of who God is? Holiness... And impurity are incompatible. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Any questions or comments on this? We've now done the lizard passage. All right, I'll pray. Father, you know our frame and that we are but dust. You created us and so you know how we learn and how things are impressed upon our hearts. Some of us are visual, some of us are auditory, some of us learn by doing. And you have addressed each of those situations, each of those ways of learning through the pictures and the actions that you mandated in your covenant with the Old Testament Israel. And by way of doing that, you have impressed upon us the drive that you have for a people who are redeemed who are zealous for good works and you define the good works the culture doesn't define it you do and we want to submit to you as our king as our God as the priest who understands our suffering our temptations in all ways and yet was without sin. Holy Spirit, would you well up within us again, reminding us of the beauty of Jesus, acting as our self-cleansing agent in these very porous clay pots. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for this church. Thank you for doing the work that only you can do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.